the ExxonMobil Formula One podcast. Off David Croft. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the ExxonMobil F1 podcast on the week that the new James Bond film is released worldwide and very much from Russia with love after an excellent result in Sochi last weekend. I'm David Croft and on the day after the race I've travelled the 2,400 miles from the Olympic Park in Sochi back to Milton Keynes, north of London in the UK and the site of the Red Bull Racing Campus. Here the cars are designed, built and maintained and it's where the Red Bull drivers hone their skills on the team state-of-the-art simulator and where next year Red Bull will also start to produce their own race engines working closely of course with ExxonMobil as they continue to power and lubricate these incredibly efficient works of art and technology. As you walk into the factory here in Milton Keynes, the first thing you spot, to the left of the reception desks, is the giant trophy cabinet, stretching from floor to ceiling and housing all the silverware won by the Red Bull team since they came into Formula One at the start of 2005. Then to the right, there's two more trophy cabinets as the team add to their collection, with space needed for one more trophy after the weekend's success. 319 Grand Prix entered, four Constructors' Championships, 72 race victories and 195 podiums, the latest of which came in Russia, where Max Verstappen went from last on the grid to second by the chequered flag. It was a brilliant effort in a brilliant race, in which the rain fell in the last few laps and saw the drivers scuttling for the intermediate tyres as the track became more and more treacherous. In fact, so action-packed were those last six laps that only Yuki Tsunoda in the Alpha Tauri stayed in the same position. Everyone else swapped around, including Lando Norris, who was leading and on his way to a first Grand Prix win before he slid off the circuit and finished seventh. Lewis Hamilton, who took advantage to come home and record his 100th Grand Prix victory, the first driver ever to achieve this in Formula One. And Max Verstappen, who went from seventh on lap 46 to second at the chequered flag. Paul Monaghan, chief engineer of car engineering, told me what those closing few laps were like in the Red Bull garage. Some bits of it were calm, other bits were a bit more frantic. It kind of reflected the weather. You know, it's changing, so our situation was changing. Are we coming in? Are we staying out? Um, what's going on? Are we still on the track? Are we not still on the track? And um, oh, I'd say all said and done, we... We kept our nerve amidst you know, a fairly chaotic uh, set of circumstances. Yeah, at those scenes, it's it's who who can hold his nerve will do the best job, won't they? And what are you doing, Paul? Because you're in charge of engineering. The race is on. Your job is done. Are you, are you holding your nerve, or are you pacing around the garage? No, no, no. You keep an eye on things, make sure the things functioning all right, everything's behaving itself. Um, and you really look for for external inputs. I mean, the data's still coming off the car, but you can view the footage that's coming in are we still on the track where are we going what's the conditions like which corners are soaking wet which aren't what's the is the rain worsening and um you at that point you need calmness on the intercoms if you're going to say something has to be contributory Mm. and uh fortunately as usual the car just keeps going doesn't it so uh we didn't have too many dramas in that respect and we didn't um well check out a little brush with the wall on the way in the pit lane didn't he but um we can survive those little things you took the decision as a team to take on a fourth power unit of the season. You came away with Max getting second place. First time he's ever gone from 20th 
to finish in the top three, actually to finish in the top nine in a race. Such was the performance. Um, in terms of the damage limitation you were hoping for, was it damage limitation and some? Um, no. Uh, there was one place left to go, wasn't there? And it would have, wouldn't have been nice to, uh, to put the power unit in and win the race. So I suppose coming up to the rain from where we were sitting, thinking, oh, blast, this hasn't necessarily gone quite as we had wanted. Um, throw in a little bit of uh, disruption and uh, we've moved up so maybe we suffered a bit of good fortune Max is a standard incompetent driver um, let's say that you know, our decisions with Max paid dividends and to come out P2 we, uh, I dare say had you offered us that on Friday we probably would have taken it so it uh, it started extremely well for Max we're moving through the fields um, there were different levels of tyre deterioration amongst the medium and, and uh, the C3 users. We seemed to suffer a little bit, and it cleaned up, and then we were struggling a bit. So then we left ourselves a long run on the C4 tyre. Uh, Max, of course, came out of the box punching and had excellent pace, but we would have um, we would have not struggled near the end, but we would have been a bit limited. Mm. And uh, then once we put the Inters on, we were fine. So we had to come out P2, new engine. We're, uh, we're set for the remaining X races, aren't we? The Exxon Mobile Formula One Podcast. And we'll be back with Paul in a few moments to talk more. But firstly, let's have a catch up with Tomac Young, Exxon Mobile's global motorsports technology manager and a huge F1 fan who was right on the edge of his seat in those closing moments of Sunday's race. We have watch parties, we watch together. And we definitely cheer, but the feeling is hard to describe. Let, let me paint a picture for you. So we have these cars going faster on the track, and we all know it. But for us engineers caring about the fuel and the lube, we have moving parts going equally fast. Mm. And if you think about that piston moving there back and forth, it probably achieves a top speed of maybe 100 kilometers an hour, and then decelerates to full stop and accelerates the opposite way, to 100 kilometers an hour to decelerate again. And you don't have wheels there. You don't have bearings. <laughs> you barely get some lube yep. into that cylinder. So it's quite a challenge for us to address the wear, the friction, the durability of this metal on metal. And then you put your oil, your, your baby, that we work, you know, we work on this new oil for a long period of time. And finally, you earn the right to put it in the car. By no means. Is it a given? So it's certainly, you know, hard in a mouth type of feeling when that oil is first in the race and you're watching it, you know, attentively from the start. Is the car going to take off? Is it going to have any trouble? And I mean, my heart is racing even now, thinking that if you do well in that race as we did this year, it's a very special feeling. Mm. But can you enjoy it at the time then? Because it sounds like you enjoy it afterwards. But at the time, you're so nervous that, that anything that could go wrong might go wrong uh, that you can't actually enjoy the racing while it's happening. I think there's some truth to that, isn't there? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, we exchanged some upbeat emails and afterwards, I think you're right. Definitely we wait till the end. We make sure that that car doesn't stop. You know, <laughs> our bosses in Dallas would be particularly <laughs> unhappy with us. Yes. With if the visibility went the wrong direction. 
It's, it's so interesting because in my job I commentate and I enjoy every single second of it, but I'm not waiting for something to go wrong because whatever will go wrong, I'll talk about it. It's not a problem. Um, but in your case, yeah, you're waiting for that moment where things could go wrong. But the fact of the matter is very rarely do things go wrong mm-hmm. and you do get your job absolutely spot on. A, because you're very good at what you do, and B, because I think you surround yourself with the best team to make sure things don't go wrong. Yes, and this best team really extends sort of in in two directions. So we have our Red Bull partners in a very deep relationship at this point after a few years. And then we have our Honda partners for the power unit. And we are very close, even though we are, you know, 12 hours away, we're very close to them. And... Mm. We work together, you know, to give you an idea, because you might think that we have an idea today and we'll start testing or racing it in a month or two. That's certainly not the case. We have instances of new technology taking a decade, a decade, a decade to be developed and eventually used in the race. Wow. So whenever we deploy something new as we did this year successfully, and you know, we got with the new uh, oil, yes, and fuel. So we deployed a new fuel, a new oil, and apparently our racing partners are very happy. We got some acknowledgments for the performance that we brought. But we already have a new generation in the works and a generation after it in the works. So our technical team is constantly coming to me, asking for money to do some new type of testing <laughs> on molecules that will be used you know, maybe in 2026. Wow. And in 2026, for, for those that might not know, Formula One will introduce new engines and probably new fuels and oils to go with it. It's a big year of change. Yes. And you're already addressing that. I would imagine you've been addressing that for some time. Yes. And, you know, we have an official role in this as a contributor to Formula One advisory panel to FIA. So we are working on a specification for that fuel and lubricant together. We're trying to influence in a direction that we believe will make the sport as engaging and colorful as it is today and, and you know, fun for all participants. But we are also doing testing again. So we might now go to an, an engine lab in Germany. And it's not going to be an F1 engine, it's some other engine, but we're going to test these new molecules that we haven't used yet and see how they perform. Wow. And if they perform well, anything that happens in Formula One can get transferred to road car users to the benefit, not just of Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez, yeah. but hundreds of millions of people around the world. Yes, our, our you know our greatest pride is our Mobile One lubricant, and I, you know, I often tell this story, but that's what brought me to the company. Really, I'm I'm originally from Poland. I live in the U.S. and have lived in the U.S. for a while, but in Poland, Mobile One was really big. So every oil change, you know, that I did with my dad since I was a child, was with Mobile One. So there's no other option for me um, to use Mobile One. But you know, I had the privilege of joining the company over a decade ago and walk the hallways where the product was tested. And I was sure I would not get the job, but in the end I, I did end up getting it. And, and we tried to keep that Mobile One formulation competitive with, with, everyone, with everything that's on the market and really stand on its own performance wise. So these new molecules that we test in RB16B this year, you know, we're really hoping, and often it does happen, that eventually that polymer, that base stock, that antioxidant makes it into our formulations that you can purchase in a store. Absolutely fascinating. So, so now you've got the job, 
you walk the the hallowed corridors of mobile one but you also walk here at the campus at Red Bull and, and you get your own pass to come here because ExxonMobil are very much embedded within this campus. It's not a case of, well, we're just a sponsor and, and we'll do our work elsewhere. You're here on site working with the team. Yes, it makes me very proud of our company that we'll only really get involved in something if there's a technical aspect of it. So whenever you see that Mobile One logo or SS Synergy logo on a car, no matter the discipline, you can be assured that there is a product, often, often a custom-developed product, in that engine, in that vehicle. And actually, you know, for RB16B, all of the fluids, pastes, and greases, majority of them, at least vast majority, come from us yeah. and were custom-developed. What about the RB18, next year's car? Yes. How long have you been working with the Red Bull team on, on what you need to provide for that? And, and how's it going? It's going well. Good. Your face did not flicker one, one bit there. Now you're smiling. That's good. I've been working for, for quite a while. Again, you know, we would start maybe working a year ahead of time on that. And, you know, similarly, David, as, as you remember, we changed the engine. It was quite a redesign for mm. this year. So we had our hands full with the new fuel and a new loop for 2021. In the meantime, the 2022 specification was already out so we started working on it you know the, the one big change is that we're going to increase um, the level of of the sustainable component in the fuel mm. and we're going to go to ethanol which is a little more available in the marketplace something that we can get a hold of but as a lot of technical people would know ethanol has less energy yeah. also burns quite differently so you need to address it you need to change your 90 percent of the fuel to accommodate the 10 percent and it's quite a big change. So we had about 20 candidates and a few months of testing to land on the final one. Is it very simplistic to suggest that with that, that difference in performance, with more ethanol being introduced, your team's job now is to find a little bit more grunt where someone has tried to take it away? Absolutely. And the pressure is definitely on. You know, Red Bull is telling us, guys, you know, we need to keep the power where it was. Mm. And we've done a lot of research on the power, on the on the power aspect of it. You know, not to disappoint the team. I won't ask whether the team were disappointed or not so far, but can you can you give us any indication? I can't comment, but we'll see in, <laughs> in testing next year. Watch out for when we go testing next February and March. I'm I'm absolutely fascinated to see what happens for next year. I think it's going to be an incredible season with the new regulations inside and outside uh, of the car. Uh, and I hope that you get to watch the races a little bit more easily uh, as well. I'll give, you, I'll give you a Sky Go pass, not a problem. Thank you. I, I do hope so as well. <laughs> this year, you know, we were hoping for things to reopen, but it was quite a challenge. And mm. I must acknowledge the colleagues who do go to the races to offer fuel and oil analysis Often they travel for weeks on time, and you can only imagine you know, sitting in a hotel room for several days. It is a massive commitment, mm -hmm. this sport, isn't it? Yes. But you wouldn't want to be outside Anyways. of the sport. Now, now, now you're in it with Mobile One, that, 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 that lifelong partner that you wanted to be with. You wouldn't change it now. So I'm a new face for you, and this is because I joined this part of ExxonMobil. You know, I had some prior jobs that gave me you know, prepared me for this, but I joined in February mm. of this year and haven't gone to a single event. So all of the support that we did was 
done virtually. And I'm actually greatly appreciative of everybody's patience with me. Well, I get the feeling that when you do hit the track, you're going to be around for some time to come. Yes. Yes. And we'll see you at the track soon. Uh, Thomas, thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity. The ExxonMobil Formula One Podcast. Brilliant to talk to Tomac. We'll have more from him in future editions of the podcast. Now, the Red Bull Formula One team can trace their origins back to the former Stuart Grand Prix team who are based on this site in Milton Keynes and headed up by the three-time former world champion Sir Jackie Stewart. Race day in Russia marks the 22nd anniversary of their one and only win when Johnny Herbert took the 1999 European Grand Prix at the Nürburgring. But the site has expanded massively since those Stuart Grand Prix days, although if you wander the corridors of the Red Bull campus, you'll still find many members of staff who were on duty back then. Paul Monaghan joined the team in 2005 after stints with Benetton and Jordan, and he's seen huge growth over the years. Now, I came in June 2005, first race was Magnicore. So, yes, you've seen the team change, evolve, grow, win championships which you, you, you have plans, but it's, realising them is quite different. Um, lots of new faces, lots of faces have stayed, and you know, if, you, if you look at the faces you see in the garage, the faces you see when you visit here, we are fortunately staying together as a team. The same faces are around, so we have some continuity. We work well as a team, and... Um, Yes, it's nice to see, isn't it? And now we have our own little campus here. One of the things I, I've noticed as well, and, and I was a local radio reporter back in the days of Stuart Grand Prix, is that the ethos of the team, however much you've grown, has still remained the same. You're a team that's a racing team that exists to go racing, just like Stuart Grand Prix did all those years ago. You're not here to sell cars. You're not here to sell products. You're a bunch of racers that go racing because racing's fun. Well, racing is fun. It's, it's like having a sort of um, a sort of kiddies job, isn't it? We go and play with the cars, go around in circles, and, and get paid for it. So we're extremely privileged. And occasionally, you have to pinch yourself and remind yourself of that. Um, in terms of backers, I guess no, we're not backed. We're not, we're not a, uh, an automotive manufacturer, if mm. you like. Um, we have the blessing of the amazing Red Bull support, yeah, and the sponsor is the owner is the brand of the team is everything to us isn't it and um that's a fabulous situation to be in i dare say if you went and looked in our competitors they may be represented by rival brands should we say or different brands but there'll be a collection of people that are similarly motivated similarly driven want to succeed well, one of them succeeded rather too often recently haven't they <laughs> and um so i, I dare say that it, it takes a certain um, group of people to want to do this week in, week out. You know, we have 20, well, we'll have 22 very public exams mm. this year, and uh, if we're a tenth of a second off the pace, so I was sort of following this as well, that's rubbish, isn't it? A tenth of a second around a 5k circuit, it's not a huge amount, is it? So it's, yes, we're, we're represented by an energy drink, and um, it energizes this place a bit, doesn't it? And we're different from the other teams just in our. Our outlook, I think, and our attitude to things in some ways, we're not quite as corporate as some of the others in my view, but it's still a fun place to work and it's a great team. Within that fun place to work, within that ethos of we're just a bunch of racers though, is an amazing backing that you get in terms of the facilities you now have here. 
um, could you have dreamt when you came here in June 2005 that you could look around and see the, the, the resources at your disposal today? No. It's, I dare say, you, know, you all have expectations that the team will grow, the team will become more competitive, but we've taken on more things. The rules have changed a lot for us. That's driven us in different areas. Um, you know, we have a, a new engine partnership from when I joined. We've got, uh, we've been through two, we uh, have changed many partners on the car, the technical partners, Exxon are in, they're fantastic to work with, Honda are brilliant to work with, but with all the evolution of the car, the complexity that is demanded of these cars, you need greater backup here. Mm. So whilst there's 60 or so people at the circuit, we're the tip of the iceberg, and behind us is this vast sort of iceberg of committed and and, uh, and clever people that contribute to the what you see on a Sunday afternoon and uh, we are a focal point of it if you like or we're the visual part of it but we're not the uh, sole contributors to it by any stretch. Do you ever take races off and stay back at the factory and is the atmosphere different when you do or is it exactly the same as it would be at a racetrack? Uh, I don't know I, I, I end up going to them so uh, <laughs> people have to put up with me there instead of here I suppose. I dare say if you're back here then it's a different environment, but it doesn't mean you don't want to succeed in the same way any of us trackside do. It's it's a sequential event, if you like, the car preparation. So what people are manufacturing now that could go to Turkey, their contribution is, is this very moment. Mm. And uh, hopefully when their um, work arrives in Turkey, we look after it, we use it properly, we don't smash it up and it goes on to America. So... It's many wheels that have to turn in unison for us to be a successful team, and uh, it happens extremely well. And just very briefly, because you've got to leave us in a couple of minutes for for a meeting, um, when do you start uh, your work on Turkey, or is that already, already started? Underway. We're, we're a day after Russia. We go Turkey works started some time ago, so the, you know, the, the car changes incrementally between races, and um, so we've we've known roughly what is going to go to turkey for some time so preparatory work can occur um you know, probably we've chosen the tires we will fill in with what we want in terms of rear wing levels um obviously we've had a few accidents recently so we've had a few bits consumed mm -hmm. so there's been a huge effort from the uh, manufacturing department to get us back up to to stocks and who would have known in russia a couple of weeks ago we were a bit depleted in stocks it's just amazing what they've achieved yeah so all of those arrive, we go racing in Russia, everything from Russia can come back, we'll tidy it up, or if it hasn't gone straight to Turkey, we'll put ourselves on the ground there, and obviously there'll be an ascendancy in the amount of preparation for Turkey, we'll do that race, Austin prep will start, probably started, as is Mexico preps well underway, this is the unique nature of that circuit, so it's not as if we sort of finish one, then open the book and think, right, okay, where are we going next? It's... The work, again, it's a bit like the wheels, isn't it? They're yeah. all rolling together, and some are outputting for Turkey, some are outputting for USA, Mexico. We're 2,000 metres up, virtually no atmosphere to work with, but the car still does 360-odd kilometres an hour in the straight with a Monaco wing on the back. It's incredible. So, and then we've got sprint race in Brazil. Not been to Qatar, we'd have a look at that place, haven't we? Mm. Not been to Saudi. <laughs> and uh, the next thing we know, we'll be in Abu Dhabi, hopefully um, to complete the mission. 
We will speak to you before then, I'm sure. I dread the port. <laughs> the mission is coming. <laughs> Seven races to go, Paul. Um, enjoy them, and, and we'll talk soon. Look forward to it. Thank you very much indeed. The Exxon Mobile Formula One podcast. Always fascinating to chat with Paul, who'll now be flat out over the next few days getting everything ready for the Turkish Grand Prix. Now, Max's efforts in Sochi left him trailing Lewis Hamilton by just two points at the end of round 15. In the Constructors' Championship, Mercedes have a 33-point advantage, but with seven races to go, it's all to play for. And who's to say, after Max took a fourth power unit of the season in Sochi, and with it that grid penalty, that Lewis Hamilton won't have to take one himself at a future race. After all, his teammate Valtteri Bottas has now had two extra power units as reliability plays an even greater influence on the destination of the titles. That's why Red Bull aren't just grateful for the power that ExxonMobil bring to that Honda engine, but also to the input of the new upgraded Mobile One oil that allows for extra power whilst also protecting the internals of the engine under huge stresses and temperatures. Before we go, though, we've got time to chat to one final guest, or should I say guests, as it just so happens that on the day I chose to head to the Red Bull factory, Diogo Videra from ExxonMobil's Prague office and some very lucky competition winners were present too, getting an exclusive behind-the-scenes tour of the factory. So, Diogo, here we are in this magnificent space, surrounded by, well, a, a big blue bull, not a red bull, uh, and 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 30, 14 red bull cars. What brings you from Prague to here today? So, basically, we were running an employer branding campaign uh, all this year, right? And uh, we, were, uh, we were doing an internal part, an external part, and the prize... Uh, as a competition was in uh, in relation to Formula One, is actually to visit the the factory of one of our uh, favorite teams. One of your favorite teams. This should be your favorite team. There should be no others. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so all the way from Prague to Milton Keynes, and how many people have you brought along today? So in total, we are eight. So we have the two winners plus the, their plus ones, right? The the lucky ones, and then we have some technical uh, people that are here to to help. That we have a winner right in front of us. Who are you, sir? Hi there. My name is uh, Pavel Masha. I'm uh, from the ExxonMobil Prague office, and I'm working on the recruiting team. I was one of the lucky winners, um, actually the lucky winner from the internal competition. So great to be here. And I remember you from the Q&A that we had with Max and Checo and the Prague office just before the Russian Grand Prix, which was a, a fabulous way to get an insight into the driver's thoughts, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, exactly. It was amazing. And a, another great opportunity kind of to show our partnership between uh, Red Bull Racing and uh, ExxonMobil. So we've had one hour opportunity of a virtual meeting between the employees of ExxonMobil Prague office and, um, well, the drivers and yourself, you were moderating. It was uh, it was great fun and it was great to be able to ask those questions. So tell me, how does the Red Bull campus compare to the Prague campus for ExxonMobil? Well, um, uh, we are really um, a support function uh, in Prague. We are a, a business support center and um, uh, we don't have any manufacturing uh, sites in Prague. Uh, we do have it all over the globe, obviously, all over Europe. Uh, but this one, um, uh, well, I would say that's the main differentiator. I really loved uh, uh, the environment here, very kind of clean, modern uh, environment. Uh, yeah, really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's almost like a hospital, how clean it is. In a way, it is, yeah. When you see the guys kind of working, uh, you know, on the development and some of the engineering um, uh, manufacturing pieces behind those uh, huge glasses, it's almost like you would be in a skyscraper, but actually it's a, it's, it's a factory, it's a manufacturing site as well, so amazing. It's an incredible place. Let's have another little chat here. Who are you? 
Hi, I'm Denai Baraki. I'm actually one of the external winners. And this is just a great opportunity to be here. Like, I've never seen anything like this. Actually, never really been to a car factory before. So this was very new to me. What's the thing that's impressed you most about your behind-the-scenes tour today? So I think the overall community, the atmosphere. Like, when we walked through the tour, there was music playing in the background. They were helping each other. And that just surprised me. I was expecting kind of, like, really everyone in their own little boxes, figuring out what they needed to. But this was such a friendly atmosphere and such a teamwork with lots of passion that it just was incredible. You see, it's Red Bull. Everything's got a, got a vibe to it. This is what we need in Prague, everybody. Music, DJs, a uh, bit of funky, bit of funkiness. Uh, which one of these cars? There's 14 cars here, four of which are championship winning cars as well. Which one looks the best? Ooh, that's a tough one. But honestly, I think RB3. I find that really impressive with all the pictures of the faces. I think that is just absolutely unique. The, the RB3 uh, won 17 races, uh, one podium that year, uh, I think, so that'd be 2005, six, so 2007, it's all the Wings for Life uh, photos of all the Red Bull fans uh, that are on there as well. I mean, were you not impressed by the RB9, the championship winning car? The, the, the RB6 was the first car that Red Bull produced that, that won a championship, and well, maybe the RB16B for this year could be another championship winning car. What do you think? Very well could be and they're all extremely impressive but you asked me which one I like the most and that one visually stood out to me the most. I think it is an absolutely stunning looking car you're right thank you very much for talking to us um, it's been sensational uh, to meet you all here um, it's, it's one of the perks of the job isn't it when you work for a partner of the Red Bull F1 racing team you get to come and look behind the scenes as well. Yeah, that's, that's amazing and it's a pleasure to basically design the competition and then be able to be, be here and live it, basically. Actually, our hashtag of the whole competition is see it, live it, love it. And that's exactly how it is. Well, we're seeing it, we're living it and we're loving it as well. Uh, thank you, everybody. Uh, you've got a plane to catch now to get back to Prague again. You not will, yet, not, not yet, yet but you will be watching for the rest of the season, won't you, and cheering Red Bull on? Yes, of course. Now that they're your favourite team, not one of your favourite teams. Their favourite team ever. <laughs> thank you very much, everybody. I hope you've had a brilliant day by the smiles on your faces. It looks like you have. The ExxonMobil Formula One Podcast. And if you ever get the chance, it really is a wonderful place to spend some time and admire the huge effort that goes into creating and running two of the fastest racing cars on the planet. And on some weekends, very much the fastest thing on four wheels on planet Earth. Seven races to go then this season, and we'll be back for another ExxonMobil F1 podcast soon. If you enjoyed this episode, and if you want to know more about ExxonMobil's technical partnership, just head to the ExxonMobil Internal Motorsport website at www.mobile1motorsport.com. But for now, from myself, David Croft, here at the Red Bull factory in Milton Keynes, take care, and we'll speak to you soon. The ExxonMobil Formula One podcast. David Croft.